Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and Happy New Year. Happy 2021, and welcome to the first podcast of the year for the Miller Frost Show. I am your host, Miller Frost, and I am here, as always, with my fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. Remember, you can get hold of me a couple different ways, one less this week than than last Wednesday, but we'll get into that in a second. My email is still miller at millerfrostonline.com, and my parlor handle is at millerfrost. You can also reach me at uh, at patron, patron.com backslash millerfrost, and I am suspended off Twitter again a third time. Third time is the charge, and I, I was just making that joke on Wednesday about trying to up my game to get suspended, and I got suspended again, more hateful conduct, because I called Jake Tapper a hysterical drama queen and just said he should go have a sex change operation. That was too much for them. I guess if you are David Cross and call for blood, you can literally say, F that, I want blood, and they will not suspend you. But encouraging Jake Tapper to have a sex change operation is considered hateful conduct by those losers at Twitter. So I guess I'm all for a while, which is fine. I don't really care. I only go to Twitter for the news stories and to poke people. But hey, it is as it is, and it gives me more free time to do other things, like I got my first column up on Parlor that posted up on Friday. So hopefully, if you want to go over there and uh, peruse that, we also post uh, ad-free versions of this podcast up there. And tomorrow kicks off our story of the day. So we'll be doing one story every day, just you know, a couple minutes Uh, Just to kind of lighten the mood during the week. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know if we'll be doing a show on Wednesday. It's, you know, kind of that first week back after a couple weeks off from the holidays. So I just don't know what to expect. Hopefully, hopefully we can uh, put something in. It may not be very long, but we will try to put something in. And White Boy Malcolm X, before I forget, we have had, I don't know how many back-to-back-to-back, hour-and-a-half episodes And so I have deliberately lessened the number of stories for this one on purpose, partially because it's just, it's quiet out there. It's a a very oddly slow news period. There's like, there's no teacher news. Everyone in Florida is behaving. I do not have any good Florida stories. Now, we will be starting the show with a gay story and we will be finishing with, I guess technically it is a, it is a smoking gun story, which we like to finish the show with. However... I just I wasn't as big a fan with the smoking gun write up as I was with the New York Post write up. So we're going to go with the New York Post version. I just thought it was the better of the two versions, the New York Post or the smoking gun. So we went ahead and went with the New York Post version. And I think hopefully you will enjoy that. And I hope all of you had a a good New Year's, a good New Year's Eve. I know I did. I uh, I lied to everyone, not on purpose, but. I did lie. Normally I say I'm in bed by 9 or 10 o'clock. And that has been the track record for I don't know how many years. But 
But White Boy Malcolm X, you left what about uh, eight, eight forty, eight forty-five? Yeah, uh, and and so I threw him out because I was getting ready to go to bed. But you know, it's dry January, and speaking of which, it's January third. No booze this weekend. So so far, so good. <laughs> it's only three days in, but we'll see how see how this month goes. But I had a half bottle of wine left, and so I was like, I got to finish this, or I'm going to have to dump it out because I don't want anything in the house during dry January. I don't even want the temptation. So I started to have a glass of wine, and the next thing you know. You get into a movie. I was watching um, the Dead Poet Society, was watching part of that. And then I got on, on YouTube and was watching some music videos to wind down. And I then suddenly I looked down at my cable box. And yes, I still have a cable box in my house. I don't use it, but it's there. And it said like 12.03. And I'm like, crap, I just blew through midnight. And I, oh, well, so I went to bed around 12.15. <laughs> but next year, next year, I am definitely, I am definitely going to bed at 9 or 10 o'clock. I was worthless on Friday. And before we get started, one quick question for you. Who, speaking of dry January, who do you think White Boy Malcolm X is crankier? Me, off of booze right now, or the average millennial out there? Because The Office, apparently, is no longer on Netflix. <laughs> well, yes, I'm probably getting there. I'm not quite at the millennial. I, I, I've watched like one episode of The Office. I had to. It was like a hostage situation. I had a, a, I have a friend of mine who has a, a daughter who loves the show, and the daughter's like nine or ten years old, but they let the kid watch the show. I thought I was stupid, and but the kid loved it, so we had to sit there and watch an episode of The Office. And God, I couldn't drink my couldn't drink enough to make that fun. But anyway, let's go ahead and dig in. And our first article is from Queerty, and I'm just this is one of those articles, folks. I'm going to make it as PG as I can. It is a published article, so it's not vulgar. But if you've got kids in the room, as I always say, shame on you. You shouldn't have kids listening to this program. But if you do, I would just throw them out of the room for a couple minutes, probably about three to four. I'm just going to give you the headline. And if this is not something that you want to listen to, skip ahead. But this is a perfect Miller Frost show story. As I say, I like to chaperone. An irreverent journey through today's oddball news stories. And if this is not an oddball news story, I don't know what is. And here's the headline. Gay adult film star performer blasts studio for paying bottoms less than tops. So I'll give you about two seconds to just hit that skip ahead button before I start digging in on this. Okay, you've been warned. Adult entertainer Armand Rizzo claims that a studio called Blacks on Boys... <laughs> I don't even want to know, White Boy Malcolm X. I don't know who Armand Rizzo is, and I don't know who that studio is, and I, I am proudly ignorant on both fronts. The self-proclaimed home to the best interracial gay content pays bottoms way less than tops under the rationale that the site is more top dominant. And if you don't know what a top is and you don't know what a bottom is, <laughs> ask someone else. This has never happened to me, but there's a studio who is interested in me, and what I found out about them is mind-blowing, Rizzo tweeted on January 25th. So, White Boy Malcolm X, if I'm ever allowed back on Twitter, we should follow him because this sounds entertaining. They pay bottoms way less than tops, and their excuse is the site is more top-dominant. And I, White Boy Malcolm X, do you know what top-dominant means? Because I, I'm like... Well, it, yes, I guess it could be that people who prefer to top, that's their site. That's their site, I don't know, or I, I guess you can't have more tops than bottoms. 
I mean, I guess theoretically you could, but I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to those web blacks on boys. I'm not going there to find out what's going on and what how they define the top dominant. And I warned you, folks, if you're still listening to the story, I warned you. Skip ahead. Anyway, let's pick up with uh, Mr. Rizzo's continuing tweeting. I don't give an F, and he didn't say just F. I don't give an F. Who are you to say that a bottom is worth less? Well, Armand, I guess I will. (laughs) If no one else will, I will. I mean, seriously, Armand, who is doing all the work? It ain't you. Just laying there. Rizzo, who just won the 2020 Gay VN Award for Social Media Star, went on, if you're wondering what side I am talking about, it's at Blacks on Boys. Such a shame. Lost my respect. And in another tweet, because this queen was not just having it then, calling them out. She had to carry on with this. He added, it's going to be a big no thanks. And he put no thanks all capitalized. I don't care that you even raised my fee up. It's just unjust that you pay bottoms less. And for that, I decline working for you. Rizzo's Twitter rant got a ton of support, no doubt from the power bottom community. If anything, bottoms should be paid more, one user replied. If it not for a bottom, what the top gonna do, added another guy. <laughs> you queens out there are a hot mess. Wrote a third. Bottoms low-key are worth more in reality. And if you wanted to know who the power bottoms were on Twitter, now you know, just go to his tweets and see who replied. FYI, CNBC reported in 2016 that male porn performers average 500 to 600 per scene or day, with better-known stars earning up to $900, and superstars, however they measure that, up to $1,500 a day. So, White Boy Malcolm X, if you are a superstar porn star, you can make $1,500 to have sex all day in front of a camera. As of the time of this writing, the at Blacks on Boys Twitter account has not replied to Rizzo's claims. So there you go, folks. Armand Rizzo is not a happy power bottom. That queen wants to get paid. She's going to do that. She wants to get paid more. Okay, this is a New York Post story. And as always, White Boy Malcolm X, we missed all the fun. Here is the headline. Portland kicks off 2021 with a riot for the new year. And we could have been rioting. You were probably, you, you were asleep by midnight, right? Okay. Yeah, I was just crashing on the sofa, enjoying some wine and watching dumb music videos. But we could have been rioting in Portland. And I figured they would have been rioted out by now. But folks, they are, they're carrying on. So let's find out more about those folks in Portland. Portland rang in the new year with a riot as vandals wrecked havoc throughout the Oregon city, tossing Molotov cocktails and attacking law enforcement with rocks and bricks, police said. They're probably lying because everyone knows that the police are the stormtroopers that prop up systemic racism and white supremacy. The crowd convened around 7.45 p.m. near Chapman Square downtown, the heart of protests that raged in the city throughout 2020. Portland police said that at least two Molotov cocktails were thrown and commercial-grade fireworks were launched at the federal courthouse and Justice Center, which some rioters attempted to break into, which is rather odd, I think, because normally they just like to barricade those buildings with police officers inside, and then they set fire to them to burn them down. The crowd also set multiple fires and chucked rocks, bricks, and frozen bottle waters at officers from the Federal Protective Services and Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. 
Some were struck by paint-filled balloons, which Portland police said may have been laced with a caustic substance as it caused burning to the skin. A riot was declared just before 11 p.m. and... So white boy Malcolm X, these folks, they get together at 745 and they start the fun. And then three hours later of just being pummeled by these kids, the cops are like, okay, now guys, now we're going to call this a riot. We've had enough. (laughs) Took them three hours, three hours to get pissed off enough to call it a riot. And cops warned protesters that if they didn't leave the area, they'd be subject to arrest and or the use of force, including but not limited to impact weapons and tear gas. So they didn't even start firing back. They just threatened to fire back. The group also destroyed property, including shattering a Starbucks window, KOIN reported. The planned protest was billed as being in solidarity with BLM, with no streamers, no megaphones, no masters, according to online posts. Well, I thought White Boy Malcolm X, I thought that BLM in Seattle was just, they were, they wanted a divorce because we had, we had that article a couple, uh, I think probably about two months ago, maybe. And the BLM folks, they were like, they are done. They were like, we want a divorce. We want nothing to do with those riding crackers anymore. They are, they've taken over the movement. They are making us look bad because all BLM wants to do, folks, is call people racist and have them, have all these woke companies write them checks. They're trying to get paid. And they got these little these little waif clowns running around with their Antifa gear on, burning and trashing everything down. And they're like they're cutting in on their action. So they don't want any of that. They just but apparently the Antifa folks are doing this in solidarity with BLM. New Year's same goal the post set. The raucous protest broke up around 2 a.m. only after the police used inert smoke and some impact munitions. So to update that timeline, folks, at 745. All those little Antifa thugs get together near Chapman Square in downtown. They start throwing crap at the cops and breaking into buildings. And also, they even broke a window at a Starbucks. Three hours later, the police are like, you kids cut it out or we're going to come in there. We've had it with you guys. And then three hours after that, at 2 a.m., that's when the police finally put their foot down. I wonder if Ted Wheeler, that pansy pajama boy mayor he was probably one oh we don't want to get them upset just just give them some time just just warn them because i'm going to tear gas you just tell them that and then like we'll, we'll wait a couple hours and see if they stop that's what they get in portland for for that kind of fun and putting up with it i mean what did we do we had this story on wednesday we had that dopey chick who tried that crap in arkansas and they're gonna put her ass in jail <laughs> Because those folks in Arkansas don't play around. You throw something out of a cop car, you try to assault a police officer, they will put you in jail and they probably would give you a beat down in the jail and no one will find out about it. But in Portland, in Oregon, they will let you go nuts for hours and hours and hours. They're like this crappy parent who, who never quite follows through on the enforcement mechanism. Ah, how did a Vox article get in this pile, White Boy Malcolm X? Those idiots at Vox. God, my head hurts. But anyway, oh, I know why I picked this story. And here's the headline. Mark Zuckerberg, that idiot, gave $75 million to a San Francisco hospital. The city has condemned him anyway. Oh, my goodness. Poor Mark. I mean, I I would be a little... I mean, I know Mark is worth a gazillion dollars, but 
I would not be happy if I gave someone $75 million and they turn around and spit my face over. But let's find out a little bit more about what's going on here. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg's adopted hometown of San Francisco on Tuesday formally condemned the naming of a major hospital after him and his wife, the latest flashpoint in the debate over the proper role of billionaire philanthropy. The city's board of supervisors, as nutty a group as you can get, ladies and gentlemen, approved the condemnation, a move that reflects the new, increasingly controversial politics of both the tech industry and of its founders. Activists on both the left and the right have grown sharply critical of big tech companies like Facebook, and simultaneously there is a building backlash movement to charitable gifts from the mega-rich. The 10-to-1 vote is a manifestation of each of those cross-currents, which both run particularly strong in liberal San Francisco. The measure has no legal force and is merely symbolic. Of course it is. Those liberals love symbolism over substance. Let's dig in a little bit deeper, though. Five years ago, Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, gave $75 million to San Francisco General Hospital, the city's sole public hospital where Chan was a pediatrician at the time. As part of the donation, the hospital was formally renamed the Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center. I can't believe that that vain, pretentious little Pris didn't put his name first, but I guess I know who wears the pants in that family. Since then, Zuckerberg has emerged as a political pinata as Facebook grew in size and has been dogged by cascading scandals. And Zuckerberg's troubles in his corporate life have increasingly boomeranged onto his charitable gifts, most notably at his and his wife's epitomous philanthropy, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And so, after years of fits and starts, a group of hospital nurses, anti-Facebook activists, and progressive lawmakers on San Francisco's Board of Supervisors began to mobilize this summer to push back against the hospital's name. Rather than moving to officially rename it, which contractually could require returning the $75 million gift, the group decided to push for middle ground, to condemn the name while leaving it in place. Again, symbolism over substance. San Francisco's only public hospital should not bear the name of a person responsible for endangering public health in our country and around the world, and yet it does, say Gordon Marr, the lead sponsor of the measure. These are policy choices, and they have a body count. Well, I think Gordon is a bit of a drama queen. We're, of course, thankful for the gift. No, you're not. And we're thankful for any gift to our most important institutions during this time, said Matt Haney, another supervisor backing it. But that doesn't mean that we should forever essentially have given away advertising rights on this most essential public institution. (laughs) I'm not reading any more of this. So those folks in San Francisco... They're just going to keep bashing him. They're, they're not going to hand the money back. I guess, I believe the article says that he, they have to keep it named that for 50 years. It has to stay that way. The Priscilla Chang Mark Zuckerberg Hospital for 50 years, or they got to write him a check for $75 million, which they probably don't have anymore. They probably, God knows what they spent that on. <laughs> I know what they spent it on. Free needles. Free needles, folks. They're all over the city. You can walk around and pick those things up. There's Zuckerberg's money right there. Uh oh, white boy Malcolm X. White queens are at it again. <laughs> yes. When have they ever stopped? This is a Tal Road episode, folks. And here's the headline 
Jeffrey Sanker goes ahead with Puerto Vallarta gay circuit party undeterred by COVID surge. Yes, folks, the white queens. So we had, well, I mean, let's recap real quick. So we had white queens in London who were buying up all the PrEP, the anti-HIV medication that helps to prevent the spread. All those white queens got in there and they got it first. And then we know that Philadelphia is the home of systemic white racism within the gay community. And very similar to this party in Puerto Vallarta, those queens in Atlanta this spring were throwing parties left and right, and they were just stuffing themselves into bars without masks, partying on, partying like it was 1999, and they were they were not having any of that COVID restrictions and COVID lockdowns. They were partying, and now they're going to do it again at the gay circuit party. And why do I say white queens? Because who else goes to those damn things? Everyone else is smarter than to go to these parties, a bunch of Dopey white queens going to these things. Girls got a party. Let's find out more about these girls partying. Southern California-based promoter Jeffrey Sanker. See, I told you. Southern California white queens is going ahead with a weekend of gay circuit party events in Puerto Vallarta, defying COVID rules in the Mexican state of Jalisco, where all public festivities have been canceled and gatherings of more than eight people have been forbidden by moving his party to the neighboring state of Riviera, Nayarit. I think that's how you pronounce it, but I don't care. The LA Blade reports as of Wednesday, the state of Nayarit is under the orange status of Mexico's traffic light monitoring system. Well, that's odd. White boy Malcolm X is generally green, yellow, and red. But in Mexico, they've got the orange in there as well. All businesses and organizations continue to operate at 50% capacity with social distancing, which includes the hotel industry, beaches, and tours. The state of Nayarit, which has a population of 1.8 million, on Wednesday reported 19 new cases and 7 new deaths. The Blades spoke with authorities. Those queens calling down there. The Blades spoke with authorities in Nayarit Wednesday evening, who indicated that while technically not running afoul of the health orders, they were aware of the event and would be closely monitoring it. Well, don't get too close, folks, because you might catch something down there. Sanker sent a message to attendees of the opening party, instructing them to not give the address of the party out so as to not cause issues with the public and reminding them that photos and video of the event are not allowed. Well, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, you are a dumb, dumb promoter if you don't know those queens are not going to gossip. The first thing they do when they get that address is going to be like, put that up on Facebook and Instagram. They're going to be bragging about going down to that party and, and having fun and partying and doing all the drugs and whatever they do down there and catching something, but they're gonna, they ain't going to keep that a secret. So good luck with that. And uh, lastly, last sentence, authorities in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil this week shut down a gay circuit party there, which ran afoul of COVID restrictions. <laughs> Girls got a party. Girls got to party. They, they don't care about the COVID. They're going down there. They got a lot of... They got a lot of other things to worry about than the COVID. COVID's the least of their issues when they get in those things. So I have a subscription to Consumer Reports, and it was it's something I've had for a couple of years, and it was because my dad used to read Consumer Reports when he was so alive. And so he got me a gift subscription. So every December I would get a postcard that says, you know, Daddy Frost got you a, a year subscription to Consumer Reports. And I read it, I just kind of flip through it. I, I don't buy a lot of the big ticket items they they review and stuff, but hey, sometimes I like the car, 
I like the car reviews, their annual car issue. And then like I was looking at a new laser printer and I looked it up there and stuff. But it's it's okay, fine. I just flipped through it real quick. Because it's like, okay, I'm not buying anything this month. Flip, 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 done. But, but I was going through yesterday, as a matter of fact. I stumbled into this at the last moment while I'm putting show prep together. I'm reading this magazine to get off my desk. And this is the January 2021 issue of Consumer Reports, which normally folks just kind of rates items. So you want a new refrigerator or you want a new oven or a printer or a car. They just, they rate it. But wokeness, folks, wokeness has invaded Consumer Reports. And here's the headline, learning to celebrate blackness with photography. These tips from black pro photographers, and it's capital B black, so you know they're black photographers, helped me understand how to capture the beauty of every skin tone, including my own. And so this is not a review of photography equipment, cameras, any of that, like you would expect in Consumer Reports. No, folks, this is social justice on parade, and I'm not going to read you the full thing, but I will give you a delicious sample of wokeness in Consumer Reports. In a conversation on Facebook, a friend of mine who is white and they're lowercase white, so you know they're white, noted that he did not see his racial identity as part of himself when growing up. And folks, we all know that is because of white supremacy. His parents encourage a colorblind point of view. I've heard this often. The phrase, I don't see color, is articulated as a source of pride. And remember, folks, I'm reading from Consumer Reports. <laughs> I'm not reading from the Huffington Post. I'm not reading from Vox Magazine. I'm not reading from any of the garbage online. I'm reading from Consumer Reports, and they are talking about race in Consumer Reports. What if I said race is everywhere, and it now truly is? It is in Consumer Reports. It wasn't until I read my friend's message that I was taken aback by my own self-reflection. I don't remember a time when I wasn't hyper aware of my blackness. And it's capital B blackness, so you know he's aware of his blackness. The experience of being colorblind in the context of race is a, of course, folks, a privilege. And one that I can likely never know. Because you just won't let it go, my friend. My blackness is omnipresent. It is with me while browsing in a store, navigating the New York City dating scene, a roller coaster we do not have time to go on here or reading a classic novel. Paradoxically, though omnipresent, my blackness can still feel undervalued, with its particularities not fully seen even to myself. The desire to understand that paradox is part of what led me to pick up a secondhand digital camera, which, even though we are reading from Consumer Reports, they don't bother to review. <laughs> he just mentioned the fact he got a camera. Where did my identity fit among the spectrum of human experiences? Where was my hue among the rainbow that tethers the black diaspora together? And once discovered, how can I use the camera to honor them both? This queen is insufferable about her blackness. In Consumer Reports, no less. Any camera, from one on a smartphone to an SLR, none of which we are actually reviewing in this article, can be a powerful tool of internal and external exploration. It presents all of us with the opportunity to illuminate a story that affirms and articulates. Yet who is telling that story? What story they're telling and how they're telling it have a painful, complex, and sometimes painful history. Disparaging and racist portrayals mar visual references that I and other people of color can call from. Luckily, the past can teach and inspire greater levels of thoughtfulness and intention when photographing individuals of color today, 
opening our eyes to not just better represent various skin tones, but also respect and celebrate them. To that end, I spoke with three black professional photographers with expertise in portraiture to gather tips and techniques anyone can use to strengthen their skills behind the camera, especially when photographing portraits of individuals of color. And so I'm done with that. But there you go, folks. Wokeness has invaded Consumer Reports. That guy, man. Man, oh man. He is stuck on that. He knows one tune and he is going to sing it ad infinitum. Speaking of insufferable and not wanting to hear garbage, this is a, we have, we have actually several pink news stories. They're just, queens are active. Folks in Florida, they're not doing anything and the teachers are not doing anything, but the queens are active. They've come out of hibernation and if they're not in Puerto Vallarta, they're causing other problems. But anyway, this is a pink news story and how's this for a headline? Heartless grandfather canceled Christmas because his granddaughter came out as trans. Heavens no, let's find out about that. A mom was left heartbroken after her father canceled their Christmas family gathering because his granddaughter is transgender. Michelle Scrimgore Brown from Canada revealed that she and her family were shut out completely at Christmas in 2018. And I guess, folks, she's just getting around to telling us about it now after she told her father that his 14-year-old grandchild had come out as trans. Writing for today's parent, Scrimgeour Brown said that her last face-to-face conversation with her father was on 22nd December 2018 when she told him that his 14-year-old granddaughter's pronouns were she and her and that her name was Layla. Two days later, on Christmas Eve, she texted her parents to remind them before the family get-together of her daughter's pronouns and name. This is an adjustment I know, the mom wrote to her parents. You're going to slip up just like the rest of us. What matters is that we try. Her father replied, she's a he, and if you don't knock it off, (laughs) I won't come. Hmm, You tell him, granddad. I think about that text message often, Scrimgeour Brown wrote. Did he really think I was going to choose him over the person I made? Did he really think that his hate, his fear really, would be what guided my choices as a parent? That man did not know me at all. She told her father that if he was unwilling to try with her daughter, he would not be welcome in their home. He never turned up on their Christmas Eve dinner as planned, and later that evening he made his wife uninvite the entire family from Christmas Day dinner. Sadly, the situation has not improved in the last two years that have passed. They initially hoped that the pain of losing his family might soften his heart and help him learn to love his transgendered granddaughter. Instead, he became more and more entrenched, insisting that I was morally corrupt to allow my child to become who she is. Despite this, Scrimgeour Brown says she has made peace with her father's refusal to accept and love her daughter for who she really is. So there you go, folks. Two years ago, Michelle Scrimgeour Brown's father said, "Uh uh-uh, I do not want that in my house. And I, you know what, White Boy Malcolm X, now she was complaining, she blamed it, she automatically assumed it was because of hate and fear. That's what she automatically said. It was hate and fear. And I would say, because we had an article, it was it was around Thanksgiving, it was right before Thanksgiving, and it was about how transgenders should go in and lecture all the other folks in the household about their special pronouns and their and, and who they are. It was like this kind of this like assault. You walk in with a PowerPoint presentation about your transgenderism and you lecture the hell out of everyone else in the household. And he was probably 
probably got wind that that was on the agenda. He's like, uh-uh, I just, the last thing I need is for some snarky 14-year-old who thinks she's Greta Thunberg lecturing me about who she is and how I need to accept her. Like, I don't want to deal with that drama. So he said, no. I just love how they get. Oh, well. Oh, well to that whole family. I got to make that public. How did this wind up in my pile? This is a page six article, which is the New York Post gossip page. Here's this headline. Speaking of drama queens, Justin Bieber reportedly studying to be a minister for Hillsong Church. And that reminds me, I have never, folks, I'm going to just say, I have never, I swear to God, I've never watched a Justin Bieber video in my life. I've never even actually stumbled into a Justin Bieber video in my life. So I don't know how YouTube's tracking this, whatever they're tracking, but... I'm like surfing around on, on YouTube and they popped up and it was like a Justin Bieber. It was like a holiday song and it was called um, Mistletoe. It was like, it's like, God, the last thing, I hate Christmas music anyway. I just hate it. 51 years of Jingle Bells. I can't take it anymore. It's just like, just stop it. And, and they play it earlier and earlier. And then there's Justin Bieber on New Year's Eve, Mistletoe. And I about went up and threw myself off the roof. But thankfully... I didn't watch that either. So hopefully, YouTube, if you're listening and you work at YouTube, I am never going to watch it. You can suggest them all you want. I am never going to watch them. But let's find out about Justin Bieber becoming a minister for the Lord. That kid is as dumb as a sack of hand. That kid is, is as dumb. He is to the singing community as AOC is to Congress. He's as dumb as a sack of hammers. She's as dumb as a cocktail olive, but... Bless his stupid heart and that dumb wife of his. Between them, they they don't have half a brain. He's um oh god, what is it? He's married to one of the I, I don't know her name. She's one of the Baldwin brothers' kids, and I don't I don't think Alec has any. He's got that fake Spanish wife. <laughs> Talk about cultural appropriation, the fake Spanish wife. But um, I don't know which Baldwin brothers' kid it is, but he married some dopey Baldwin girl. The two of them, half a brain between them. And now he's going to be a minister for the Lord. Justin Bieber is studying to become a minister, hoping to help lead Hillsong after the firing of his preacher pal, Carl Lentz, according to a report. And I don't know what's going on there. I guess Carl was doing something he shouldn't have done. They threw his ass out of the church. Justin doesn't plan to give up his music career. Oh, God. Speaking of praying to God. But he feels there's a bigger calling out there for him, a source told OK Magazine. He wants to be a full-fledged minister next year. The pop superstar has long praised Hillsong for saving him from his dark days of drugs, public meltdowns, and arrests, becoming the church's most high-profile backer and also a member of the choir, the report noted. He's kind of like Tom Cruise has Scientology and Justin Bieber has Hillsong. The Biebs grew close to the megachurch's hipster pastor Lance. You know you're in a screwy church when your pastor is a hipster, finding him fame of his own, and now thinks he can help steer the church after Lentz's firing for moral failures after he admitted cheating on his wife. I wonder, white boy Malcolm X, if that was maybe like a Becky Falwell. <laughs> I don't know he's, who he's sleeping with, but he, you know, I don't know if the wife was involved either. I wonder if that's everyone at a church is going nuts these days. Justin believes he can take a leadership position in restoring order, the source told. Okay, and I am done with Justin Bieber. Can you see Justin Bieber? He's probably like, hey, hey, hey dudes, let's, let's, let's praise Jesus and stuff. 
let's let's uh, let's say uh, like a, a prayer for for God, you know, the God guy up, up in heaven. Yo. Uh. I don't know, maybe the dumb wife can write us his homilies. You see that, probably in crayons. Here's another pink news story. I told you folks we got a couple of them. How's this? Brokeback Mountain Creator wishes she'd never written it. And probably about a thousand queens just started crying right now. Oh, my favorite movie. And folks, if you don't know what Brokeback Mountain is, because it has been a while, I don't know how old that movie is now, that is where Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger went gay for pay. And they were pretending to do the nasty to each other in Wyoming or wherever the hell that took place. But let's find out more about what's going on with whoever wrote this, because they were apparently not happy anymore. Annie Prolks, and I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but it's P-R-O-U-L-X. That's how I'm going to pronounce it, so I apologize, Annie who wrote the short story that inspired the Oscar-winning Brokeback Mountain, says she wishes she never written it because so many people missed the point of it. Ang Lee's adaptation of Prolx's Brokeback Mountain broke new ground when it was released in 2005. That is 15 years old already, White Boy Malcolm X. Damn. Winning Academy Awards for Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Original Score, among other accolades. It's been credited with ushering a new age of queer cinema, However, for Prolks, it's just been the cause of hassle and problems and irritation. Prolks told the Paris Review she is regularly sent rewrites of her original story, including all kinds of boyfriends and new lovers and so forth after Jack, who is Jake Gyllenhaal's character, is killed. She says it drives her wild. I wish I'd never written the story, she said. Before the film, it was all right. They can't understand that the story isn't about Jack and Enos. And Enos was Heath Ledger's character. It's about homophobia. It's about a social situation. It's about a place and a particular mindset and morality. She hit back at the fanfic writers saying, That's not the story I wrote. These are not your characters. The characters belong to me by law. So I guess, folks, it's been a while, 15 years. I haven't watched that movie in forever and I hated it when I watched it. I barely got through it. So I guess Jake Gyllenhaal's character gets killed, and there's the other one. Enos is hanging out. And so all these little Brokeback Mountain fanboys <laughs> are writing their own stories. It's like it's like those Star Trek people. They're like all this Star Trek, these fanboys write Star Trek novels, and they take all the characters. And I, I guess Paramount or whoever's like, okay, whatever. You, you creeps, put your tinfoil hats on and do whatever you want to do. But she's like, I can't take this anymore. Quit rewriting my story. Annie Prolks worked with Charles, and I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's last name, W-U-O-R-I-N-E-N, I'm not even going to try it right now, on an opera adaptation of Brokeback Mountain, so they turned this into an opera, White Boy Malcolm X, which premiered in 2014 in Madrid. She wrote the libretto for the show. Discussing her decision to take this role, she said, I figured one of these idiots who loves happy endings would come along and start messing with it. I want to keep the story as it is. And she is not happy at all. In one final blow to our collective serotonin, she added, it's a strong story and it shouldn't be mangled into everybody lives happily ever after. So there you go with that. If you are in your mother's basement and you are writing a new ending to Brokeback Mountain, do not send it to Annie because she is not going to want to read it. And she'll probably write you back and tell you to go play in traffic. I wish I could quit you. (laughs) 
That was so dumb. When I tell you what, folks, when he said that line, I wish I could quit you, I just started laughing. <laughs> dumb. D-U-M-B, dumb. This is a Fox News story, and here's the headline. Brian Cranston says, Cancel culture breeds less forgiveness in our world. And if you don't know who Brian Cranston is, folks, he is Walter White. He is your crystal meth dealer. So Walter White says that cancel culture breeds less forgiveness in our world. Let's find out more about what Walter White has to say. Walter White isn't a fan. Yes, White Boy Malcolm X. I am calling him Walter White because no one would know who he was otherwise. So I'm just going to call him Walter White in this one. Walter White isn't a fan of cancel culture. But folks, as we had, we had an article a couple weeks ago. Walter White is an enormous fan of talking about how much privilege he has. That man can't get enough about talking about his white privilege. He was uh, you know, plugging some show on Showtime about him being a judge in, in New Orleans and his son did something, got in a car accident or something and got him out of it. But you know, he likes the white privilege, likes talking about it, but he does not like cancel culture. The 64-year-old actor addressed the notion, the practice of publicly admonishing and potentially ending the careers of public figures when they make remarks or take actions deemed inappropriate or insensitive in a video interview posted by the Associated Press on Twitter on Thursday. We live in this cancel culture of people erring and doing wrong, either on purpose or by accident, and there's less forgiveness in our world, the Breaking Bad star said. I think we're unfortunately in a coarser environment. I think our societies have become harder and less understanding, less tolerant, less forgiving. White said that as he's been asking himself, where does forgiveness live in our society? The actor says that he feels that forgiveness can be given to those who are contrite and apologetic. He explained that cancel culture is creating a division in which people are marked out or in depending on their behavior, making note that even one mistake can render someone gone. Seeing public figures ostracized for the rest of their lives has prompted an idea. I think we need to take a second look at that and exhale and realize that asking forgiveness and receiving forgiveness are not weaknesses, but our human strengths white set. And I actually, folks, I hate to agree with a crystal meth dealer, but I actually do agree with Walter White. But I, th I think he's being a bit naive about it. I, I think that the uh, the Twitter rage monkeys, as I call them, they they live for this sort of stuff, going after people and targeting people and canceling them and just th these pylons. It's 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 a mob mentality and and you can't control the mob and we're finally seeing the results of that in in our politics where it's not just the left it's the right does it as well they get people wound so tight and, and they go off on and do these have these fits and and nobody can control them at that point so i i don't see you look at that poor girl that got thrown out of school. She used the n word she was singing along to some tune at fifteen and some dopey kid. Had got hold of that video and held on to it. She gets into like what UT University of Tennessee or some school like that. Got on the cheerleading team and then he released the tape and they threw off the cheerleading team before she even got there and they forced her to, to drop out of school. And that is your cancel culture right there. Is these vindictive little snitch kids. And hey, look, it's it's if you hate someone like that, if you've got that sort of inner rage and anger and you know you've got this Puritan mentality that you are righteous and pure and everyone that you hate is evil you're going to take them down like that and that is not the last that is certainly not the first time we've seen that sort of thing and, and and with this new generation this is not the last time we're going to see it either so walter i get it 
you're preaching to the choir here, but I don't think that the Twitter rage monkeys are going to relent at this point. You got too much vested in it right now, and they're not going to stop. This is from WGN, and how's this for a headline? CTU board member facing criticism for vacationing in Caribbean while pushing remote learning. Another story out of Chicago and their screwy education system. A Chicago teachers union leader is facing criticism for vacationing in the Caribbean while at the same time claiming it's unsafe for teachers to return to the classroom. I bet she was. Sarah Chambers is on the union's executive board and is an area vice president. As recently as Thursday, she tweeted to rally special education teachers not to return to work Monday because it's unsafe. Just a few hours earlier, Chambers posted a picture on Instagram. <laughs> that appears to show her poolside in Puerto Rico and talking about going to Old San Juan for seafood. The post also mentioned she previously had COVID, got a negative test result, and consulted her doctor before traveling. Both you see this chick, white boy, Malcolm X? I already had the COVID, and then I got another test, and, and it said I was negative, and I asked my doctor, I'm like, doctor, I got tickets to Puerto Rico, can I go, can I go, can I go? And he didn't want her yapping in her, his office anymore, so he's like, yeah, sure, go, just go, just get out of here, my office, just go, honey. Oh, okay, I'm going to Puerto Rico. And so off she goes, she's going to Puerto Rico, she's saying, oh, you gotta stay home, it's not safe to go to school, you have to stay home. But I'm going to go to Puerto Rico and enjoy frozen cocktails and sit by the pool and have dinner in Old San Juan. Both Chambers and the Chicago Teachers Union have not responded to WGN's request for comment. Of course, they won't. The CTU is threatening the possibility of a strike if the district pushes ahead with plans to reopen school buildings. And I suspect Sarah Chambers will be leading that fight. Well, folks in Chicago, I have an idea for you. Why don't you all put everyone on an airplane and hold classes in Puerto Rico? Because if it's good enough for Sarah, it's good enough for everyone else. So this story, folks, we have, since I told you, Florida is on vacation. The whole state is on freaking vacation. We have no news out of Florida. Louisiana is really quiet. I don't know what's going on in the bayou, but it's not anything that's going to get them in trouble. Oklahoma is quiet. New Hampshire's quiet. All, the, all our usual hot spots of fun are very, Alabama is quiet. And so we had to go, folks, we had to go to North Dakota. We had to go all the way up to Williston, North Dakota to get some good news. And this is from the Williston Herald. And here is the headline. Man accused of Christmas Eve break-ins. <laughs> Folks, if this guy isn't on drugs, this guy looks like he rolled out of bed after like a, a three-day crystal meth binge. <laughs> God knows what else he was smoking. Jeez. This, one's a, this one is a character. A 35-year-old man is facing more than a dozen felony charges after police. And so we know we're not in Florida, folks, because if we were in Florida, he'd have three or four misdemeanors and he'd do, you know, maybe a week, you know, a week's community service and that'd be it. But this, folks, this guy, 35-year-old man, is facing more than a dozen felony charges. Let's pick that back up. After police say he broke into two houses on Christmas Eve. So in North Dakota, folks, Breaking into two houses will get you more than a dozen felonies. Not in Florida, but here in North Dakota. Let's find out what's going on with this. Levi Muse, who looks like he rolled out of bed after a three-day binge on crystal meth and God knows what else, was charged Tuesday, December 29th with seven Class B felony counts and one Class C felony count of theft 
one Class B felony and one Class C felony count of burglary, six Class C felony counts of being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm, and one Class B misdemeanor of fleeing a police officer. So you can burglar and steal away all you want, and those are the felonies, folks, but if you see a police officer coming and you run away, there is your misdemeanor. <laughs> Mercy. He was ordered held on $200,000 bond. Police say Muse was the culprit of two Christmas Eve burglaries. And I don't know how he got the initiative to do that, given how he looks. But let's find out what Levi Muse stole to rack up more than a dozen felonies. In the first, a family reported the theft around 6.30 p.m. on December 24th. So this guy's like the Grinch. He came in on Christmas Eve and stole according to an affidavit of probable cause filed in Northwest District Court. The family returned from church and found multiple things missing, including a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper, a 12-pack of root beer, a case of juice. <laughs> I hope these aren't the felonies, because can you imagine getting a felony charge of a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper of all crap to drink? A DeWalt battery charger, a container of cookies, I guess to go along with the root beer and the Dr. Pepper, 12 Christmas stockings. Jesus, that is a big-ass family, folks. They got 12 Christmas stockings containing gifts, tools, and a Google Pixel 4 cellular phone. Officers noted distinctive shoe tread marks outside the home. So Detective Clouseau, we know where he is. So this breaks into a house. Poor people are at church. They are praying to Jesus. I hope Justin Bieber was not their minister. (laughs) But you never know. North Dakota is damn close to Canada. And Bieber might have just come down to bless them. They get home and all their Dr. Pepper's gone. The root beer's gone. The, a case of juice. This guy needs a sugar fix. And the cookies and the, all 12 Christmas stockings are gone. Hmm. And that's what they get for going to church. Oh, well. Later that evening, because this guy, folks, after that bounty, he wanted more. Police were called to a home on 13th Avenue West for a report of a burglary in progress. So he was still in the midst of doing the second house when they showed up. When an officer arrived, he found a 2002 GMC pickup backed up to the door of a home and saw Muse leaving the home carrying items, charging documents indicate. I wonder if he got more juice out of this house. Or Dr. Pepper. Maybe he finally got himself some Diet Coke. Cut down on that sugar. Muse ran when confronted. (laughs) Which we know, folks, in North Dakota is a misdemeanor. But the officer was able to catch and arrest him. Police found a 9mm handgun near Muse, and in the truck, they found three rifles and two shotguns that had been taken from the home. Muse is not allowed to possess firearms after a 2018 felony conviction. In that case, he was accused of breaking into a Williston car dealership. Uh oh, white boy Malcolm X, he could be like the little kinky kid. <laughs> And if you're like, what kinky kid, Miller? What kinky kid? It was a kid. He was over at the car dealership. And I forgot where. I think it was Louisiana. And he had like fishnet stockings on. And he was doing some stuff. He was defiling himself at a car dealership with sex toys and all this. And pornography. And he was at a car dealership doing that. But I, I don't know if Levi Muse was up for that as well. But anyway, in that case, he was accused of breaking into a Williston car dealership and stealing items and accused of possession of child pornography after being searched. So he's a little bit kinkier than the 18-year-old with the fishnet stockings and the sex toys. 
Police said that when Muse was arrested, he had a memory card in his pocket that contained an obscene image of an 11 to 14 year old girl. Oof, that is a little bit creepy. A jury convicted him on the Class C felony count of possession of prohibited materials and acquitted him on felony theft and burglary charges. So in that case, folks, he broke into a car dealership to steal items and he happened to have a picture of a little girl on his phone and they let him go. He didn't break into the dealership, but he had the child porn on his phone. Levi Muse, bless his heart. Of all the things to steal, root beer and a case of juice. And a Google Pixel phone. What an idiot. Steal an iPhone, Levi. Okay, here is another pink news story. Last, last of three. And this is going to get Eddie Izzard in a lot of trouble. But how's this for a headline? Eddie Izzard insists J.K. Rowling isn't transphobic as gender-fluid comic defends author's views. And where's Walter White when we need him? Because if they haven't tried to cancel J.K. Rowling, I don't know who they try to cancel. And Eddie Izzard is probably going to find himself in a one hell of a crap storm over, over this. Because you are not supposed to come to her defense, Eddie. So let's find out more about Eddie Izzard about to get himself canceled. Eddie Izzard, a British gender-fluid comedian, and that, folks, is where one day he's a man and one day he's a woman, but he's all over the map. And God, can you imagine what his pronouns are on a day-to-day basis? And decades-long Labour Party campaigner has defended J.K. Rowling over her anti-trans comments. Izzard, 58, sought to defend the Harry Potter Arthur, whose tweets and blog posts have nettled the LGBT plus people in the last year, with top activists branding her a threat a threat, folks, to the community. I don't think J.K. Rowling is transphobic, the comedian told the Daily Telegraph newspaper. I think we need to look at the things she has written about in her blog. Women have been through such hell over history. Trans people have been invisible too. I hate the idea we are fighting between ourselves, but it's not going to be sorted with the wave of the wand. I don't have all the answers. If people disagree with me, fine. But why are we going through hell on this? Concerns over her opinions were first sown in 2018 when the writer liked a tweet that referred to trans women (laughs) as men in dresses. And in her defense, I have to say it really depends on the man because if there's no adjustment to the hardware, that's really all he is at the end of the day. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. But I mean, if I put a wig and a dress on and said I'm a woman... I don't expect you all to like look at me in a wig and a dress and no other changes and um, and say, okay, okay, Mrs. Frost, <laughs> nice to meet you. So it really, to me, it, it depends. I mean, you can't just, it's this whole thing we've gotten gotten around to the last couple of weeks with seven different sexual orientations and seven different gender choices and you get to do make up whatever you want and every day can be different. Every hour can be different and everyone just needs to keep shifting to your special pronouns and your special sexual orientations because you have to be different so this is i think to me it's the same thing that you can't just say i'm a woman if you're not going to get the hardware change now if they got the hardware changed and they are a woman biologically absolutely i got no problem with that but don't stand there in a wig and a dress and call yourself a woman and expect me to go yes ma'am rowling's representatives attempted to add sweeteners to the controversy by saying this was simply a middle-aged moment However, since then, her engagement with trans topics has rocketed. The high-water moment came when Rowling launched into a string of tweets that ridiculed trans-inclusive language, followed... (laughs) I think that's me, white boy Malcolm X. I think I'm there, too. 
followed swiftly by a dense essay outlining her opinions on sex and gender. Since the saga, the holy trinity of Harry Potter's film franchise, these little wimp kids Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint all rebelled from rolling by denouncing her raising morale for trans fans. There you go, folks. Look for Eddie Izzard to be canceled, and there's not a damn thing Walter White can do to fix that. Man, we're down to two stories. This is from the Daily Wire. How's this? Activist calling herself Black Panther of Oxford seeks race offender registry similar to sex offender registry. So we got another one. We got another leftist who, like Santa Claus, wants to keep a list, but I do not want to be on this list. A UK activist who leads a Black Lives Matter-inspired political party, can you see them, white boy Malcolm X, has called for a race offenders registry, a national database of anyone accused or charged with racism. The registry would bar those on it from certain jobs and from living near people of color. you got to check out all your neighbors. Sasha Johnson, the activist calling for the registry, calls herself the Black Panther of Oxford and was seen regularly at BLM protests in the United Kingdom earlier this year, the Daily Mail reported. She spoke to crowds wearing camouflage trousers, a black beret, and a stab-proof style vest, the outlet added. So she is fierce, folks. She is all dressed up in her camo outfits. If she were a 22-year-old pansy white kid, she would be in Antifa. Johnson, 26, exclusively told the Mail that the race registry would be similar to the sex offender registry, and include people accused of microaggressions, which are perceived discriminations against a marginalized group that may not even be intentional. So, for example, if you are Sean Mendez and you accidentally call Sam Smith he when Sam has previously announced that he is gender fluid and he goes by they, them pronouns, that could be seen as a microaggression. If the transgender community starts to keep a list, Sean Mendez, his ass is going on there. Oh, because he's already we already busted him for one, but I guess in the in this community, I guess if you talk about let's see Black Friday, that could be seen, folks. If you're like, man, I can't wait to go shopping on Black Friday, they might see that as a microaggression, a racist microaggression, or use the word picnic, and we you're like, what the hell, Miller? We learned, folks, last week that those nerdy woke IT folks at I think it was the University of Michigan, one of those stupid universities in the Midwest are banning the word picnic because they believe it has to do with racism, even though it doesn't. So that could also be a, a microaggression to go on a picnic. Man, oh man. In essence, it means that anyone who claims they've been offended by another person would be able to destroy someone's life by adding them to the registry. And who wrote this? Ash Scow. Ash, if you don't think that's the purpose, you are a fool. It's similar to the sex offenders register, Johnson told the Mail. If you were to be racially abusive to someone, the register would question whether someone is fit enough to hold a particular job where their bias could influence another person's life. Can you see her controlling this list? A lot of racism happens at work in places of education in a microaggressive way. If you would exhibit an element of bias at work, you should probably receive a warning first before later being added to the register so people know in the future that you hold these views, she added. Johnson said the registry would ban people from living in ethnic minority communities. <laughs> if you live in a majority colored neighborhood, you shouldn't reside there because you're a risk to those people. Just like if a sex offender lived next to a school, he would be at risk to those children, she told the outlet. She said, the, can you see this? 
per that stupid list, you get flagged for saying the word picnic and you just happen to live near uh, a black family, capital B black family, so you know they're a real black family, and they they show up with the you know. Oh, so, so sorry, you're, sorry, you're on the um, the, the registry list. You, you have to move. You, you can't live next to black people because you said the word pig. <laughs> Get out of here, go. You got to pack your stuff up now. You got to go. Man, man, oh man. She said the idea was suggested to the Black Lives Matter group. The Mail noted that the TTIP hasn't laid out the specific offenses that would warrant inclusion on the registry, but said people who had merely been accused would be included. So I guess White Boy Malcolm X, I would just say all the white people in England, if you're any left, you better start packing now because your ass is going on this list if she she gets her way. Look at this picture of her White Boy Malcolm X. I mean, folks, I have to say, wearing that uh, the camouflage trousers, the black beret, and who knew, a stab-proof style vest. I thought it was just a regular vest off the shelf, but I guess not. She just seems like a lovely... Lovely woman there. You and I are, you white boy Malcolm X, you're fake black. Your ass is definitely going on that list. I'm probably going on there right after you. Okay, here is the last story. This is a New York Post article, and I told you folks, we like to finish with the smoking gun, and the smoking gun did have a version of this story. But in this case, this case, I think the New York Post won out. Here is the headline. Man threatens to kill former boss after he didn't accept Facebook friend request. And guess, White Boy Malcolm X, this is not out of Florida. Where do you think this... No, it is not out of Louisiana. It is another... It is another North Dakota story. How do you think I found the first one? I was like, like, what's going on in North Dakota? So I started digging and I'm like, oh, this is a great story. So I, I did the other one with the, the kind of the meth junkie looking guy who steals cases of juice and soda and guns and jewelry, <laughs> robs people's houses on Christmas Eve while they're at church. But this is another North Dakota story. They are going nuts in North Dakota. You folks up there, you keep it up. I might bump you a little higher than Louisiana, but you will never beat Florida. There are not enough of you up there to, to carry on the crazy that the folks in Florida do. Let's find out about this, this nut job who uh, got a little butthurt about a Facebook friend request that was not accepted. No wonder he didn't want to be friends on Facebook. And that is why I am not, well, I guess technically I am on Facebook. I used to be on like Facebook like like a lot. I used to have like, you know, all the friends and all the other crap. It, I hate Facebook. First off, I hate it. It sucks. I am tired of looking at people and their stupid kids and their stupid lives and the same picture over and over and over again. You know, just a different shot of the same. You know, it's like, okay, how many pictures of your stupid baby do I have to look at? I just got tired of it and I just rage quit. I just deleted my account. I do have another account. But I am, it's on the DL. I literally have like a dozen friends. You can't search me. It's all, all the privacy boxes are checked. And the only reason I have this stupid Facebook account, which I never even log into, by the way, is because I have a couple people. It's hard to keep track of them otherwise. So I just have a couple very few, very close friends on this thing. It's just, I mean, when I was on it the last time, like Mama Frost's friends would send me Facebook friend requests. And I asked my mama, I'm like, Mama Frost. I'm like, why is your dumb friend sending me a Facebook request? I never even met this chick, and why is she sending me this? My mother would be like, oh, you can just ignore them. And I'm like, why the hell am I getting them in the first place? But th that's the kind of crap people like get people who I didn't like them in high school, and they didn't like me in high school, but 30 or 40 years later, they're sending me a Facebook friend request. Hey, let's hang out on Facebook. I'm like, screw you, douchebag. I don't, I don't want to be your friend. I didn't want to be your friend then, and I don't want to be your friend now. But anyway, this is what you get. When you, you're on Facebook, you get a bunch of stupid high school drama crap. And this guy got butthurt about 
no friend requests, and he threatened to kill his boss. Let's find out more about this. A North Dakota man is accused of threatening to kill his former boss after he didn't accept his Facebook friend request. Caleb Bursick, 29... <laughs> no, I mean, not not horrible. I mean, not like, uh, what was the other guy's name? Levi Muse. Levi Muse is the one that looks like he rolled out of bed after a three-day meth bender, but this one just looks like he had a a rough night with a couple, a six-pack of Tallboy PBRs. Sent his old employer, 29, you know what he is? He is another hysterical millennial. He's having a, this guy had one hell of a fit when he didn't get his way, though, threatening to kill his boss. Sent his old employer the invitation to become virtual pals on Christmas Eve. But when Bursick, the hysterical millennial who didn't get his way, didn't receive a prompt response, and that is a freaking millennial. <laughs> I have some people I knew of millennials, and they send you a text, and you don't respond. They're like, hey, what's up? Or sends you a question mark. I'm like, buddy, buddy, I'm at work right now. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't have time to answer your stupid text. Or I'm doing these shows. I put the phone on airplane mode, and for some reason, this text still come through. But put the phone on airplane mode, and you don't answer them for 30 minutes. They get really butthurt about it. And so this guy, same way. But when Bursick didn't receive a prompt response, he allegedly began to send his ex-boss menacing messages, including one that read. Accept my friend request or I'm going to murder you. Heavens. Two days and still no response. Later, so the guy gets things and says, accept my friend request or I'm going to murder you. And he's like, screw off, buddy. The jilted worker wrote that there would be trouble if he had to get in his truck and track down the man. He included a picture of his pickup truck in the message. So you know, folks, that Caleb was dead serious because he's like, I'm going to get my truck. Here's a picture of the truck, just in case you think I'm making that up. I'm going to get in this truck and come down and murder you. Bursick also allegedly kicked in the front door of his former employer's house. In a Snapchat, authorities said Bursick posted a photo of himself in a cap and vest with a message saying the victim's family would need a new door. Surveillance footage from his former boss's home showed the man who kicked in the door was wearing an identical outfit, according to court documents obtained. The suspect's boss was not named in the documents, but on Bursick's Facebook profile, which I bet, folks, is a hot frickin' mess. And he has 550 friends. God. 550 people who he did not have to threaten to murder. It says he most recently worked as a wireline operator at GR Energy Services until March with a subheading that reads F.U. Kelly Duncan, followed by a red-faced <laughs> Bursick was charged with felony counts of burglary and terrorizing in connection with the bizarre incident. And let me just tell you, Caleb, I'm just saying, if you were in Florida, slap on the wrist. That's all you would get. That, we're done. That is our last story. Those folks in North Dakota are going nutty. Nutty, I guess it's the winners up there. Hey, folks, thank you so much for joining us on our very first podcast of 2021. Tomorrow... If you want to go and subscribe on Patreon, we will start our story of the day. And I am not sure about Wednesday. We'll have to see. If we do a Wednesday show, it'll be like 10 stories. We'll make it quick. In and out. Just to get something, just to get my fix in, my storytelling fix. But until then, have a great rest of your weekend and a good start to your week. And we will see you back here soon. Take care.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.